0: As you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather, to to sing praises to your name, to, to worship you, Lord. I pray that our hearts have now been prepared through worship to receive your word. Father, speak very clearly through me, through your word. May your name be glorified. May we be convicted, challenged, transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Take your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, let me welcome you here live, Uh, welcome you at home, hopefully joining us uh, from your living room or kitchen table, and also welcome those in our overflow room. We um, did something real strategic this week. We asked a lot of our volunteers and our leaders to step out of this room and to sit in our fellowship hall to to free up some space because we were full last week and actually had to turn some people away. We've got an overflow area that we've been using. And so we've asked a lot of our leaders to sit in the fellowship hall. So if you're in the fellowship hall right now in overflow, thank you for doing that. Uh, It doesn't go unnoticed. We're very grateful that you've been able to do that. It frees up a lot of space in here for us. We're thankful and excited about that. Let me just reiterate very quickly what Jeremy said in our intro video just a few minutes ago, September the 13th. We're opening up all of our small groups again, so that's preschool, children, students, adults. We're changing our service hours to accommodate that, so there'll be a 9.30 service and Sunday school at the same time. There'll be an 11 o'clock service and Sunday school at the same time, and so you be in prayer about that, about joining us and being a part of our small groups when they open back up September the 13th. Now, we're probably living through the strangest period of our lifetimes. Can we all agree to that? strange, weird, uncertain times, right? We don't quite know what tomorrow's gonna bring. It's confusing. We don't quite know what we should do and sometimes how we should act. COVID-19 has, has really turned the world upside down. And I wanna make a statement and then think through it with you just for a few minutes. There, there's a lot of things that have been weird over the last many months, but the one thing I've seen very clearly from my perspective because of where I am in the world and what I do the local church, by and large, was not prepared for what happened. Now, I want to explain what I mean. I know a lot of people weren't prepared, right? Nobody saw a pandemic coming. Nobody understood we would be quarantined and locked down and all the changes we've made. Nobody quite understood that. But from a local church perspective, we had to scramble to get all our services online. We had to create videos, content for children, for students, for adults, Uh, We had to communicate through Zoom and other online video services. And by the way, our team did a fantastic job on all those things. Uh, An awful lot of work. If you've never produced a video, uh, when you just flip it on and watch it and it's two minutes, you think, well, that was a nice little video. You didn't understand it took three or four hours to produce each one of those videos. There's a lot that goes into the editing and the production. So our team did a a fantastic job. But the thing that I've kind of come out of this, or at least I'm coming out of this with, as it relates to the local church is that people rely very heavily on the church, and that's a good thing, by the way. That's a good thing, right? We want people to engage in our teaching online when it was necessary to do so, We want people to engage with the content that we put out. Uh, We want people to engage through Zoom calls if necessary. But there's something that's very concerning to me in in amongst all this and how we interacted and kind of what this looked like for COVID-19. And I'm going to phrase it in a couple of questions to help you understand it and maybe process it. And it's going to lead me into what I'm going to preach about over the next many weeks. Here's a couple of questions to consider. How much would you grow in your faith if Rosemont went away? Like, if we just completely disappeared, right? If Rosemont went away, we were no longer here anymore, I didn't preach on Sunday, no small groups to go to, no leaders, how much would your faith grow? How well would you be able to worship on your own without the church? Like, just in your homes, maybe just in your neighborhoods or, or your cul-de-sacs, how much could you study the Word of God on your own? Like, if you had to, if, if this happened again, right, and, and we pray that it never does, but, it, but if something happened in the future, maybe a pandemic that was far worse or lasted much longer or great persecution fell upon the church as it did in the book of Acts and really all through the New Testament, and we were forced almost into hiding as Christians, like by the way, like they have to do in many other parts of the world now, if we were forced to not be able to come together anymore, if you couldn't put things online anymore, how would your faith be affected? Could you lead your families in your home in a time of worship? could you, could you lead your families in a bible study if you couldn't get back here or couldn't pick it up online how much would your faith Change. I'm I'm very concerned that the local church, and I think COVID-19 has really highlighted this, at least in my mind. I'm very concerned that the the local American church has become very centralized. And here's what I mean by that. You rely very heavily on me or on a Sunday school teacher or another leader for your faith journey. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being a part of that, right? This is a biblical mandate. We meet together because the Lord has called us to meet together as best we can. But if all of these things went away, where would you be? How much do you rely on me to teach you God's word every Sunday? How much do you rely on your small group leader or your Sunday school teacher or your kid's Sunday school teacher, right? What would happen if we had to separate again and be on our own? Would we be able to lead our families? Would we be able to teach Bible studies? Would we be able to worship on our own? Like, Could you conduct a small worship service in your living room room home if you had to do it? And I feel like the church is very centralized and I just worry in the future if this happens again or if persecution ramps up as if it's, as if it's already happening now, as the way it seems to be trending or going, it looks like in the future more and more persecution will fall upon the church. But if for some reason we can't meet in the future, what will your spiritual growth in your homes individually look like? And so that idea has been been just bubbling around in my heart and my mind for the last several weeks. And I've had some discussions with our team about it, some different people about it. And and really the the buck stops with me as the pastor because I'm supposed to equip you, Ephesians says, to do the work of ministry. So have we as as a church, have I as your pastor, have the leaders of this church equipped you enough to do the work of ministry? And so over the next several weeks, I'm going to teach a sermon series that we're going to call The Sword of Truth. And the sword of truth is based on a very simple model that I've taught uh, in in many parts of the world. I didn't create the model. I've borrowed it from other people, but it's called the sword method. And the sword method is a very simple model for you to be able to study God's word, teach God's word, train people in God's word uh, without having to know a whole lot about scripture. And in order to illustrate it for you, I wanted to do something. I'm going to show you something that I think you're going to like. I hope you're going to like. I brought a little visual to illustrate the sword method. I practice this all week. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, yeah. I walked around all week, you know, kind of like this, like I was in charge around church, you know, just kind of having it on my hip like this. You feel powerful when you carry around a big sword. For those of you that are worried, it doesn't have a sharp blade on either side, so I'm not going to cut my arm off, I hope, during this time. It does have a very sharp point. But it's a neat illustration. Right, we call it the sword method. I'm going to get into the scripture here in just a few minutes, but it's a pretty simple method that you can use on your own. There's questions that go along with the sword method, so we have these on the screen. I'm going to show them to you. Go ahead and pull that first truth up. Right, here's the first question if you're going to teach or train or understand scripture, there's a simple model you can use. You can take this model and use it with any single verse. You can use it with multiple verses, you can use it with entire chapters if you want to, but it's a simple process where you go through and you just basically read the passage of scripture, you ask these questions and then in some sort of a group setting or maybe even on your own, you answer the questions. So the first question is what can I learn about God, right? You think about a sword. When I hold a sword here, the point goes up, right? So the first question kind of points up, what can I learn about God? So when I read any passage of scripture, I can ask the question, what can I learn about God in this passage of Scripture? The second question, go to the next question, what I learn about man, right? As we hold this and we think about humans and the earth, right, what can I learn about God? What can I learn about man? That's the second question. Go to the third question. What I learn about sin, right? So we think about sin in the world that we deal with as a passage of Scripture, warn me about sin, Or teach me on some level about sin? Go to the fourth question. What kind of learn about obedience, right? So God, man, sin, obedience, right? Is there something in this passage I'm supposed to obey? Is there something I'm supposed to do? Is there a sin I'm supposed to be concerned with? And then the final two questions, the fifth one is, what's the main idea of the passage? The sixth one, how do I apply this to my life, right? So this is a very simple model, right? God, man, sin, obedience. And I've never taught this one time without people saying to me, this is in Africa or India or Central America, without them saying this is an incredible model because I can teach this to my people. They can now go into their homes and they don't necessarily need the pastor to walk them through this. They don't need a Sunday school teacher to walk them through this. They very simply can take this model, apply it to any passage of scripture, they can read it, they can discuss it, they can answer the questions, and they can learn a lot about the word of God simply by going through this process. Now listen, if you want to have some fun with this, go home in the evening with your families and read some scripture and ask these questions. Just start at the beginning, read a passage or two verses or five verses or a chapter or whatever, and then start walking through. What can we learn about God? What can we learn about man? Sin, obedience. What's the main idea? What am I supposed to apply to my life? You'll be amazed at how the conversation will last. You'll be amazed at the discussion, especially with your kids if they're involved and they're listening, the things they're going to see and notice and the questions they're going to ask. You say, I'm scared to do that because I'm concerned I might not know the answer. That's okay. Like, it's okay for you to say, I don't really know the answer to that question, but I tell you what, I'm going to look it up and find it and next time we talk about this, I'll answer it for you. It's a simple model, a very biblical model. It can be done in small groups, in homes. And I'm going to give you, at the end of our uh, sermon this morning, I'm going to give you kind of some homework. I'm not going to tell you what it is now. I'm not going to check it next week. Don't get nervous. But I am going to encourage you to do it. I'm going to give you a passage of Scripture that you can take home. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. You can answer these questions about it. You can do it with your family. So what the next several weeks is going to look like for us is this. This morning, I'm going to give kind of just a general overview of Scripture why the Bible's important, why it's foundational to us. And then for the next many weeks, I'm going to teach sermons based on these questions. So I'm going to take a passage of scripture and I'm going to model this for you. I'm going to answer the question, what can we learn about God? What can we learn about man, about sin, obedience, main idea? How do we apply this? Every passage we look at for the next many weeks is going to model this for you so you can then take it home on your own and do this with your kids or your, your friends or coworkers or however the Lord leads you or even on your own. But it's creating with us. The hope is it's creating and modeling and equipping us to have a tool that we can use To study, to lead worship on our own, now would be great, or in the future if something happens and we can't meet together again, right? So Ephesians excuse me, Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve. There's one verse we're gonna look at this morning. There's one verse that I just really want to think about and help you understand. And the reason I picked it is because throughout scripture the Bible is spoken of as a sword. Right so you see examples in other parts of scripture of the Word of God being called the sword. Hebrews 4:12 is a great example of that, so we have it on the screen. Hebrews 4 chapter 12 says, "For the word of God, right that's the Bible, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. there it is, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of." The heart. Now, we're going to kind of camp out on this verse this morning, really think through this, understand scripture, and really set a foundation uh, reminding you of the significance and the importance of God's word, right? It's worth you taking home and reading. It's worth you examining with your family. It's worth you using the sword method, asking and answering these questions in order to better learn about God's word. So here's the first truth I want you to see this morning, right out of Hebrews four twelve. truth number one. God's word is living and active and foundational for our lives. God's word is living and active and foundational for our lives, right? We understand that the word of God is absolute truth. The Word of God is foundational. We build our lives upon it. We take its truths and its teachings, and we try to figure out how to make those things work in our life. Like, how do we take this truth and apply it to our life? How do we live for Christ? How do do we build our world on the foundation of God's Word? Now, Jesus used a parable to help explain this in Luke chapter 6, and you don't have to look it up, but I want you to listen to what he says. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's a great question, by the way. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like, right? So the person that sees the word of God and obeys it, he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it'd been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. By the way, the other gospels say he built it on the sand. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Right? The the simple premise here in this parable is that if we take God's word as absolute truth... If we will build our lives upon that foundation, then when the storms of the world come around us, when the storms of the world try to overtake us, if we're on solid ground, our house will stand. If we build our lives on something other than the the word of God on the ground or on the sand, then when those storms of life come to overtake us, we'll be destroyed. Now, we're really good in, in our world about building our lives on things other than the truth of God's word, aren't we? We're really good about making decisions and coming uh, to our worldview and kind of building our foundation on popular culture, aren't we? While we kind of look around the world and we see what's popular or we see what other people are doing, or see, we see what this celebrity or this musician or this actor or this athlete or somebody we know very well, we see what those people are doing, and we do our best to kind of model our lives off of pop culture. The problem is what's popular today probably won't be popular tomorrow. Did you know that? And if you've lived for more nowadays, for more than a few months, you know that things kind of come and go. And so if you're trying to make your decision based on pop culture and what other people say, famous people especially, you're going to find very quickly that's going to change and shift from under your feet. We're also good about building our foundation on tradition, aren't we? The way we've always done it. We're going to do it like this because we've always done it. Churches are great at this, by the way. Churches are great at doing things like this because they've always been done like this. It doesn't matter whether they make sense or whether they're effective, or whether it's something that's actually gonna reach people for Christ, right? We're really good about making decisions, doing things the way we've always done them just because we've always done them like that. Right? The problem is, traditions aren't always good. Sometimes they become obsolete, sometimes things wear out, they're invalid. We're also good about building our foundation on our emotions, right? And we're, we're, we're really good about thinking about how things feel and whether or not we like it and whether or not it pleases us. And if it does those things, we'll build our foundation on those emotions, right? The problem is if you live your life by feeling, you'll spend your life manipulated by different moods, won't you? You feel one way one week and you feel another way a different week. And we begin to understand when we build our lives on pop culture or tradition or emotion, things begin to shift and move under our feet. If you've ever had the chance to go to the beach, and I know many of you have, and probably even this summer went, but we used to, when our kids were little at least, we used to build sand castles, right? You ever done that when you were little, or a little fort, and you fill the little bucket up with sand, and you turn it over real fast, and you build the tower, and you build walls, and you kind of, as long as you want to build, you kind of build this little castle, and it's all well and good as long as the surf is out, Right? But when the tide begins to come in, it usually only takes a wave or two. And the hours or two hours worth of work you put in that castle is gone. Why? Because the water just washes it away. That's the example Jesus wants us to use, right? When we build our house on the rock, on the word of God, on his truth, things will stand. When we build our house, our lives, on the shifting culture of opinion, or what's popular or tradition, things will shift, right? I'm I'm becoming more and more concerned uh, that younger people, right? And you can define that however you want to, right? But I'm thinking a millennial type age or younger are making a lot of their decisions. uh, They're basing a lot of their thoughts and opinions and worldviews off of social media. Now, if you think I'm wrong, you just do the research, I'm just telling you what our students or college-age people or younger are seeing on TikTok or a Twitter or Instagram, or you kind of fill in the blank of whatever they're looking at, whatever's important to them. Those things are influencing them. And just, just to be clear, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into a whole long thing about social media, but those platforms have agendas. Like if you don't think they do, you need to take your head out of the sand. They absolutely have agendas. And they absolutely understand what appeals to younger generations. And listen, if if I'm talking to you, just just listen to me. I'm not going to point anybody out. But if you're young and this is you, just pay attention for a second. Why would you want to make a decision based on what somebody you've never met says on an online platform? Now, it's okay to listen to that kind of stuff. It's okay, maybe, to, to form your perspective and, and, and maybe to kind of to add a little bit of knowledge to what's going on in the world through those platforms. But if you're not basing what you believe and how you live off of God's Word, it's going to change. It's going to change. Right? We know social media changes, it seems like, every day now. Different opinions come and go. And if we're building our lives on the, the shifting sand of social media, we're going to be disappointed. There's a a lot of things about Scripture that that make it uh, foundational, right? There's a lot of things we we can say about it. The the main thing to me is God's Word hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Did you know that? It's the same. It will be the same. As I think about God's Word, one of the things I just love to think about with Scripture when I talk to people that don't necessarily believe it or understand it, just the idea of Scripture itself written by over 40 authors, right? Over 40 authors wrote this. Over the course of 1,500 years, and yet the message is unified. Uh, You can trace from the beginning the idea of creation, goodness, sin, need for a Savior, Jesus comes as Messiah. You see that from the beginning of Genesis through the end of Revelation. Now you tell me, you tell me how 40 independent authors writing over the course of 1,500 years unaware oftentimes of the other books that have been written, could write all these books with the same theme in mind. I don't think it's possible. I think it's supernatural, in fact. I think the unified message of the gospel of Christ, of sin and redemption, makes it very clear that this is God's word, that it is absolute truth, that it's enough that we should build our lives upon it. Right, you add to that foundation of the fulfilled prophecies. And I don't have anywhere close to the amount of time to talk about all the fulfilled prophecies written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ that came true in Jesus. How's that possible? It's supernatural. We see example after example after that point to the truth of this word, that point to the truth of who Christ is, that remind us that God has a plan from the beginning to the end and remind us that God's word is worthy of our attention. We should study it. We should understand it. It is foundational to who we are. Now let's look at verse 12 again. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Right. Gives us life, gives us hope, gives us foundation. Here's the second idea piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's the second truth God's word is piercing and can separate truth from fiction. God's word is piercing and can separate truth from fiction. Now, verse 12 here talks about the idea of piercing. To the division of soul and spirit. You say, what's the difference between soul and spirit? What are we talking about? The word of God can pierce those two things, right? Can cut those two things. Well, most biblical commentators kind of explain it like this. They say the soul is kind of our natural tendencies. It's kind of the earthly things we do. Our thoughts, our attitudes, uh, our actions, our emotions, our human nature. And by the way, a lot of times those things aren't necessarily good. The Spirit, on the other hand, comes from the Lord. The Spirit comes from the Lord with truth and with love and joy and grace. And when the Spirit kind of intercedes in our lives, it changes our soul, right, and gives us life. But if we're not careful, the things of the world, the, the lies and the untruths and all the things that we do in the world, our emotions begin to supersede the Spirit in our life. And so what the Bible will do is it'll cut between those two things. It'll say, listen, the things that come from the Lord are true and right and real. The things that come from the world are not. The Word of God is good about cutting between and dividing between what is true and what is not. But if you're not using the Word of God in your life, if you're not actively reading it and studying it and understanding it, you don't have the ability to discern between good and evil, do you? The world kind of sweeps you in and takes you in and it sounds good and so you believe it, never understanding that it's not true based on God's word. So as we understand it and study it, the Bible separates the truth of God from the lies of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. One one writer explained it like this The Word of God reveals to us our true selves. Are we spiritual or are we natural? Are we born of God and spiritually alive or are we deceiving ourselves and spiritually dead? Are the faults and intentions of our heart spiritual thoughts and intentions or only natural thoughts and intentions? That The Bible exposes our hearts. It it pierces through the difference between what's sin and lie and rebellion and what's the absolute truth of God. Now, here's the question a lot of you are thinking, especially if you're younger, right? And this is a a question that people have have asked and are asking more and more frequently today. The question is this, what is truth? Like, where do we get our truth? And, And make no mistake about this, the battle for truth is raging in our world right now. If you don't think there's a battle for truth, you need to wake up. You kind of take your head out of the sand and look around. Because the battle of truth is being waged on all levels, across all spectrums. And just about every uh, kind of hot button issue in our society today, at the core of it is the question what is truth? Where do we get our truth? How do we understand our truth? The world says kind of something different about truth than we do. Right, the world says things like this truth comes from within. The world may say, your, your truth is different than my truth. The world may say, truth is relative. It might be right for you, but it's not right for me. Some people, one writer said, think there is no absolute truth. Truth for them is simply what they think. Everything is relative. What is true for them might not be true for others. So kind of the modern, uh, excuse me, the, the postmodern kind of current view of truth could be something like this. Truth is a reality that exists in the perspective of the individual or group, right? So truth basically in our current world is whatever you want to make it. Now, if, you, if you've kind of thought through this logically, and I, I really hope you have, you begin to understand when, when, when truth is relative and you get to make it whatever you want to make it, that doesn't end well. Because it's all well and good as long as you agree with what somebody else's truth is, right? But as soon as they begin to say something is true that you don't agree with, we begin to have problems. And so we get into this place in our society where our perception and our opinions matter more than absolute truth, right? When truth is no longer based in fact, but instead it's based on perception and opinion, we have no foundation, we have no anchor to hold to. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to come to this place outside of the noise of the world, outside of the noise of social media, outside of whatever anybody else may say to us, we've got to come to this place where we say, listen, I don't care what all these other people say, I'm going to find my absolute truth here in God's word. And if what I read and study here is different from what the world says, then I've got to change based on this, not based on the world. This is what Jesus says, right? Jesus says in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is. John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus, right? Jesus echoed this sentiment. When Jesus would speak about himself or he would teach, he said things like John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. The Word of God will will pierce. That's what the Scripture says. It'll pierce between the soul and the spirit. It'll pierce between the things of God and the things of the earth. It'll pierce between the good and the evil, between the truth and the lies. We've got to come to this place. If we're going to survive as a a Christian community, uh, I believe if we're going to survive as a civilization, frankly, we've got to come to this place of understanding that there is an absolute truth and we must be willing to stand up and fight for it if necessary. Now verse 12 again as we wind this down. Hebrews four twelve. for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Right? We build our lives on it. We build our lives on it. Piercing, here it is, to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and of marrow. And here's the third part, discerning the faults and intentions of the heart. Here's truth number three. God's word helps us discern his will. God's word helps us discern his will. Now, there's an interesting thing. Pull verse 12 up again, if you would, for me, please. I'm going to get my water bottle. Verse 12, I want you to look at how verse 12 ends right there. There's an interesting phrase, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever had good intentions? Anybody? A couple of you? Yeah? We kind of live with good intentions, don't we? Like We've got great intentions about a lot of things. Man, i got some good intentions in my heart. There's so many good things I want to do. We all know the saying about the road paved with good intentions. We understand that, right? So the Bible is very good about that. It helps us discern between thoughts and intentions and actions, right? Because there's more than just thinking about it. In, In fact, we see in Scripture, Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be wise. That's what Scripture teaches. So so the, the, the qualifying, the distinguishing factor is the action of the person. It's not simply enough just to know about it. Now we're we're great as believers about knowing the right thing to say. We have the right thoughts. No, pull that, I'm sorry, pull that back up. We have the right thoughts, oftentimes as believers, which is good. We have good intentions, our heart is good, which is good. That's a great start. But the Bible helps us understand, listen, it's not just about the thoughts and intentions. Those things matter, but it's beyond that, right? We've got to discern. We've got to be discerning what do we need to be thinking about, what sort of intentions should we have, and then how do we begin to apply those things to our lives, building a foundation on God's Word. James chapter 1, verse 22 and following, listen to what it says. Be doers of the Word, doers of the Word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? We need to listen We need to have good thoughts. We need to have good intentions. But we need to discern, right, between good and evil, between right and wrong, between just thinking about something and actually doing it. And so, maybe a good question for you along this line of thinking is how are you living out your faith? Like, how are you practicing maybe what you've preached or maybe what I've preached? How are you taking the truth of God's word and actually building a life on its foundation? How are you making decisions about what it teaches? How are you doing the things God has called you to to do day in and day out? So so this this sermon series, this sword method that we're going to use over the next many weeks is going to equip you. It's going to help you. It's going to give you a tool, a very simple tool that you can take with you to your home, to your place of business, whatever it looks like for you, spend time in God's Word, building a foundation on His Truth. Now, I promise you, this is, this is the teacher coming at me. I taught for a number of years. I'm going to give you some homework. I'm not going to check it, though, okay? But God will, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay, here's your homework. We've got, a, we've got a reference. Pull that Bible reference up there right at the end, please. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 23. Write that down. Don't read it right now. I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. What you're going to do is you're going to go home with your family or friends or individually, whatever the Lord leads you to do. You're going to read this week this passage of Scripture, and you're going to use the sword method in your home, right? Now, I've given you a good one. I didn't give you a a confusing one. that didn't have a lot. This one is chock full of stuff, right? What do we know about God? What do we know about sin? What do we know about, uh, excuse me, what do we know about God and man, sin, and obedience? Those are the questions you're going to ask what's the main idea, and then apply this to your life. So I want you to listen, just thinking about God first, right? This is talking about Jesus, Colossians 1.15. I'm just reading it to you. He, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And just chock full of stuff about who is God? He's the creator of the universe, right? That's a great start. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, right? All that stuff about God, all the stuff about Jesus, incredible. You could have an hour long discussion, just reading those verses with your family, with your friends, with your children. Verse 21, what do we learn about man? And you, here it is, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, you're going to take that text home. You're going to read it. You're going to answer the questions out loud. Let's talk about it. What are we going to learn about God? What can we learn about man? What can we learn about sin? What can we learn about obedience? What's the main idea, and how can we apply this to our life? You're going to spend all week, hopefully, thinking through it reading through it studying through it praying through it, whatever you want to do and when you come back next week i'm going to preach to this same passage of scripture and i'm going to preach it using the sword method and so all the things you've talked about in your home during the week all the questions you've asked and answered i'll do the same process here and i'll model this for you next week so you can take this with you week in week out and you'll have this ability now if all this went away you'll have this ability for the kingdom of God to continue individual by individual, home by home for his honor and for his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's compelling and and challenging, Lord. We thank you for the ability to understand, Father, for the gift of the word that you've given us. I pray that this truth about your word, about being foundational and about hearing your voice and hearing your truth, Father, would resonate in our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that you would allow us just to understand this week through this sword method more about your word, more about who you are. Give us the ability, Father, to go into the world to learn and love more about you. We'll give you the praise and honor and glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.